Welcome to At Home and Abroad with Harrison Walker. Join us each week as we explore the far reaches of the globe in search of unique characters and stories to share. Reach beyond your front door and let's chat about art, architecture, history, real estate, and of course food. Let's jump in. of us have a love-hate relationship with this time of year because we tend to indulge. It might be too much food, too much drink, or too many late nights, but we seem to live a little larger. Whether we are just letting loose and celebrating the end of a good year or waving goodbye to a tough one, we tend to be a little more free and perhaps a little less mindful of those habits that are truly good for our physical and mental well-being. What are the best ways to stay healthy this season and throughout the year? in our minds, bodies, and spirits. We're going to explore strategies with Reiki master and mindfulness guru, Fabio Fernandez of Resting Bell Wellness, and learn how we can keep well no matter our circumstances during this beautiful but sometimes lonely and exhausting season. We're also going to learn what cultures really have it right when it comes to wellness and learn how to escape from the days of the holidays. Let's hear and heed these cheerful tidings of self-care and wellness this holiday season. Well, I know that I have a history of indulgence at this time of year, Walker. Even though I've just recently recovered from the Halloween mini chocolate bar bonanza, (laughs) I'm already ready to jump right back in there. I always pre-order all of my goodies from my favorite gluten-free bakeries here in Toronto which are just shout out to Bunners and Almond Butterfly. But truthfully, even though there's one other gluten-free person in my house, I do end up eating it mostly myself because I feel like treating myself Mm -hmm. at this time of year, whether it's been a good year, a bad year, or an ugly all-around kind of year. Yeah, exactly. And the opportunities to treat ourselves seem to be abundant. Mm -hmm. All of our colleagues, friends, and family are indulging too. So why not succumb to the peer pressure, right? I totally succumb to the peer pressure. Mm -hmm. I dream about those little hors d'oeuvre trays being passed around at holiday events. I love them. They make me excited. You have sugar plums dancing in your head? (laughs) I do. Many of these get-togethers and celebrations revolve around alcohol too, like Mm -hmm. hot toddies and Christmas cocktails. You know the drill. We even have a Christmas morning cocktail tradition in my family of having mimosas, but it does get the day off to a bit of a boozy start. Yes, alcohol is everywhere during the holiday season, and this is so tricky for those of us abstaining or reducing their intake for whatever the reason. It's served at parties, given as gifts, and it's even omnipresent holiday advertising, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is the season of good cheer and what brings out the good cheer in all of us more than a few glasses of spiked cranberry punch. Yep. At least until the next morning, right? When we all claim that we're never going to do it again. I know. I've uttered those words once or twice. Me too. It's hard to walk the healthy path at this time of year. And then we're all remorseful, but resigned to a fresh start when the holidays are over. Yeah, eat well, drink less, go to the gym more. You know that old chestnut. Yeah, me too, every year. It seems like December has become a month-long free-for-all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. The other day I saw this meme pop up in my social media, and it said something to the effect, before you settle down with someone, make sure you find out whether their family celebrates with mimosas on Christmas Day or a 5K run. I saw that yeah. one. I saw that one. <laughs> well, it really resonated with me. Yeah. We are 100% a mimosa family. Yeah. We are also a curl up in front of a movie sort of family. Maybe, maybe go for a walk, but it better be a glorious day before I give up the comfort of my weighted blanket and a cozy fire to head out into the cold. I know. I know I'm a wimp, so you, you don't are, need to tell me. You are not a wimp. <laughs> you just like to be cozy. I'm a firm believer that you should spend your family holiday doing exactly what you want to do. Oh, what a concept. Right? <laughs> the couch, the fire, the movie, that all sounds super scrumptious to me. Yeah. You know, all of that happens, of course, after I've made a huge breakfast for everybody mm-hmm. and I'm powering up to make a big dinner. So, you know, I kind of feel like I deserve every bit of that rest. And yeah. the 5K 
is certainly not on my schedule, though I've probably walked 5K back and forth in the kitchen between the stove and the fridge. Absolutely, if not more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of work preparing and planning and ensuring that it's an enjoyable day for all of our family members and our guests. Downtime is really important so that you can enjoy the day as well. Yeah, it can be exhausting. I think that much of the self-indulgence of the season is clearly emotionally driven. Yeah. It's a hard time of year. You know, many Mm -hmm. of us have lost loved ones or are dealing with other emotional and financial hardships, and we tend to numb out with food and drink. Yeah. And then there's the guilt and regret. It's a good thing to really pace yourself. It's not a sprint, right? It's a marathon. Yeah, I love that saying. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a good approach. Just slow it down. Mm Take it easy. Yeah, exactly. Experts actually claim that slowing down and being mindful when you're eating and drinking can help maintain wellness any time of year, but it can be especially helpful at the holidays. That sounds a little easier said than done, though. Yeah, I know it. I I, I know it can be mesmerizing when we approach the buffet table. Oh, yeah. One look at the selection of cheeses, dips, and desserts, and squares. We all turn into that mole from Fantastic Mr. Fox. <laughs> I know I do, you know, with the, with the spirally hypnotic eyes. <laughs> Listen, I suspect spirally may not be a real word, but I think you know what I mean. I, I love totally that know what you mean, and I love the word spirally. I have such a visual of that mole right now. Well, you know, it's suggested that we look at the variety of delicious food that's presented before us and try to make some balanced choices. Look at your plate. Is it half filled with Nanaimo bars and rum balls? Or is there some smoked salmon and maybe some cream cheese and some cucumber canapes, Mm -hmm. you know, something like that. Yeah. Chew slowly, really think about the taste of the food that you're enjoying, and maybe put your cutlery down every once in a while if you're using cutlery, right? Yep. And if you really think about it, you know, you could even feel gratitude for those people who grew your food and prepared it. Now, that's a whole new level of gratitude. Not everybody's going to do that, but, you know. It's a nice idea. it, It really is a nice idea. And the last thing, take stock of how st- how your stomach feels. Like, are you feeling full already? Yeah. You know, you don't have to keep eating more. There will be more there. Are you sure? Right? Are I, you sure? Because well, I panic. I, I panic when that last tray leaves the room. <laughs> okay. It's tricky, though, to do all these things when you're indulging in a lot of libations, yeah. right? Because I know when I've had a few cocktails... My food choices aren't always the greatest and also my stop button on eating doesn't seem to exist anymore. Yeah, so true. That's why I have some tips for drinking as well. Oh, you're the best. I'm all ears. Okay, so something that we all tend to do when we're rushed, we go to an event and drink on an empty stomach. It's a big no-no. Yeah, I can attest to the fact that that is not a good idea. Yeah, ditto. Also, just as we're eating mindfully, we should be drinking mindfully as well. You know, don't guzzle those drinks. Sip those drinks and maybe alternate between your alcoholic beverages and your water as well. Yeah. Don't you think it would be nice if the bartender would like give you a glass of water with every drink you have and then just makes it easy? Yeah, it would be. <laughs> I would be a good idea. A little but bit more work for the bartender. $15 for a glass of water, right? Uh, yeah, okay, all right, all right. By slowing down and really being more mindful about how we're drinking, we're less likely to put ourselves in these situations where we're indulging in poor food choices, really, and other bad choices. Yes, exactly, those yeah. other bad choices. I think more mindful drinking would result in less lampshades on yeah. heads at holiday parties. Absolutely, and perhaps less chances of having to experience that really awkward moment the day after the staff party when you're t- when you told your boss what you really think of them. That Not is... that I've done that. No. Good. But... <laughs> I'm glad to hear it because that is very uncomfortable. Yeah. But even more uncomfortable is when you wake up and you're like, did I say that to my <laughs> colleague? <laughs> Terrible. So what do we do if we've already gone over to the dark side, Walker? Well, I'm glad you asked that as well. I don't have the answer, but Abby Langer, who's a registered dietitian, she has actually six suggestions for things to do and things not to do after you indulge and you're feeling not so great. Okay. So first of all, get over it. Just move on and don't beat yourself up. Love it. Okay. Make sure you eat a balanced diet going forward. Understand your body still needs to be nourished. Okay. Be conscious and aware of diet company marketing at this time of yeah. year. I mean, all year round, but it's it intense. becomes extremely difficult yeah. and conflicting when you're getting that diet marketing and you're having so much food and drink pushed on you. Right. 
Occasional overeating is normal. Don't beat yourself up mm-hmm. about it and simply focus on how much you enjoyed your food. Yeah. Now that you've done it, yeah. you know, think back and say, you Enjoy know, it, it wasn't really good canapé. Yeah. Or a tray of canapés. Yeah. You know? In my case, you're saying. <laughs> right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so what are now the don'ts? For the don'ts, the don'ts. Yeah. First of all, don't talk about how much you've eaten and how fat you feel. Okay, that's okay. a lesson don't, I can learn. I mean, don't focus on the negative there. Don't exercise excessively purposely to burn off that food. Right. Don't have that all or nothing attitude, which we all tend to do as well. You mm-hmm. know, I ate so much yesterday, so I'm not going to eat it all today. Right. And don't look for a diet with the purpose of cleansing and gaining healthier eating habits, you know, just because you had a bad time you know a a bad moment moment. yeah don't starve yourself and don't feel guilt or shame yeah I think the key message is be kind Mm -hmm. to yourself don't punish yourself because this can just compound the stress of an already overwhelming and sometimes emotionally difficult time so many of us are stressed out at this time of year and I think even this year might be even a little bit more enhanced lots of pressure lots of pressures out there calm you know that sleep app I think we've mentioned it before it it is my favorite favorite app out there calm states that 60% of Americans feel that their mental health is negatively impacted by the holidays that's a lot yeah it is a lot and 56% would prefer to cancel the holidays which I thought was a bit shocking. And it, it made shocking. me feel sad because yeah. this is supposed to be a time where we like retreat from the hustle and bustle yeah. and have a good time with our family and friends and like kind of chill yeah. out. Not want to push it away. Not want to cancel yeah. it all together mm-hmm. and just keep with the status quo. I think financial stress is a big stressor and very top of mind these days. People try to meet sometimes very unrealistic expectations surrounding gift giving and hosting get togethers and all of that can be very demanding on our time and our own resources and be very expensive Mm -hmm. I remember as a parent when my kids were younger particularly I always wanted to make Christmas a very special surprising glorious beautiful perfect experience But that's really difficult to do when you're also trying to balance how you're going to pay your rent January 1st and, you know, groceries and and everything else that that parents are responsible for. So it, it really compounds that that level of stress. I also think that just going to parties can be pricey too. Yeah. Right? Forget yeah. all the gift giving, just actually showing up to some of these events. Yeah. You know, you you have to wear something decent to wear, no? Yeah, you'd hope. <laughs> yeah. I know, especially after a few years of no holiday parties, no one wants to sort of show up not looking their best. I mm-hmm. certainly don't want to be trotting out something super old and tired that doesn't fit anymore where you can barely get the zipper up. I know, and I have quite a few things like that in my closet walker right now. I don't know about that. Oh, yeah, baby, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's certainly a stressful time for a lot of people and an emotional time, sometimes good, Mm -hmm. sometimes bad. But I think those Hallmark movies don't really help either. Newfound love and all of that, this might be the first Christmas that somebody's celebrating without their loved one. Yeah, it can be certainly very stressful. And it doesn't even have to be a recent passing of a loved one. I know my father passed away in 1999, and I still miss him, particularly at this time of year. You know, something's missing. Yeah, of course, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. And I find that having a holiday tradition, though, really helps to keep his memory alive. I don't get weighed down by the fact that he isn't here in person. I have this candle that he actually bought before he passed away and the wax has since all burned away this pine candle but I top it up every few years and anyway the night that we put up our Christmas tree I make a point that the first thing I do is sort of scrounge around inside the box looking for this candle which I light and when we're putting up the Christmas tree for me remembering him in this way makes me feel as if he's actually physically with us yeah and it's particularly important because my husband and children never had an opportunity to meet him but it's become a tradition in our house that's a gorgeous tradition I love that yeah we also actually still have his stocking that we don't put it up 
But, you know, when we're pulling at our stockings, everybody sees it. It's and there. It, yeah, it's there. Yeah, and it's a happy present. moment for us. So he's sort of been woven in back into the happy moments. Into the nice, happy mm-hmm. family traditions. I love that. Mm-hmm. Perhaps planning, you know, it doesn't have to be a candle. You could plan a family activity that maybe your loved one liked to do, like skating or going for a walk in the woods. Yeah. Um, maybe celebrating their life with their favorite cocktail or playing their favorite music. Yeah. All of that sort of thing is a great way to enjoy and celebrate their life. Yeah. I, I honestly believe that celebrating life by way of sharing a positive experience mm-hmm. is the way to do it. And music is such a... A wonderful way to do this. I lost somebody a year ago and he was a super musical guy. Mm. Just last night, actually, I paid him a little tribute with a song performance. And somehow it just brings our lost loved ones into the present. But it's not just grief and loss. I think that people are struggling with it's good old family dynamics. They are stressful enough. So true. Families can be complicated and many people place a lot of importance on family at this time of year. Scheduling how to spend your time Mm -hmm. with various relatives can be tricky and complicated. And sometimes people are disappointed when, you know, these expectations aren't met. Yeah. These disappointments can end up in hurt feelings and those hurt feelings could lead to arguments and arguments that, you know, they just last. Last and last. Old family arguments also come to the surface when people get together, even things from long in the past. Yeah, they can. And with old friends as well. Being old friends means a lot of history and possibly even a lot of baggage involved. Yeah, yeah. The stress of the holidays can bring out the worst in all of us sometimes. And all of those cocktails don't help. Yeah, so what to do? How do we avoid the potential landmines when we spend time with difficult family members? Well, apparently a lot of the problems arise from our own expectations. Mel Robbins actually just launched, I think it was this week, a new podcast episode that covered this topic. Yeah, right. I listened to that. If people aren't meeting your expectations, it's one of three things she said. First of all, they don't want to. Yep. Simple as that. Yep. Uh, Two, you can't make someone else change. Right. So what was the third thing, though? I've forgotten the third thing. The third thing was my favorite. Stop being mad that people aren't who you want them to be. Yeah. That resonates, right? Yeah. Just because I think everyone should want to spend Christmas Eve the way I want to doesn't mean that I should get my knickers in a knot when they don't. Yeah. I think it takes a lot of negative emotion out of the whole conflict and even maybe that conflict will dissolve yeah it should yes I do think though that there might even be more pressure this year because so many people this will be the Christmas that they will be spending their holidays together with extended family since the beginning of the pandemic so we shouldn't get mad but it's tricky no yeah it is super tricky according to the Huffington post the most common sticky issues that crop up in families are as I said old arguments or maybe past mistakes which people have made that continually get brought up in these situations yeah because we're all perfect right right yeah nobody can make (laughs) mistakes anymore Walker yeah I know oh and I love this one (laughs) judgment on how your kids behave or how we parent that's Mm -hmm. a that's a lovely one oh yeah yeah you know I could see that happening especially when you have different generations all sitting around the dinner table Mm -hmm. parenting you know it's something that people feel strongly about whether you have children or not and sometimes people who have absolutely zero experiencing parenting feel that they're experts and feel they need to share their opinion (laughs) yeah I really don't get that but this this is like very real in my life my little nephew who's three my sister and her wife they have access to different resources they're of a different generation they parent differently than than I did than my parents did But it doesn't make it right or wrong. And nobody should be sitting in judgment of each other. Right. Oh, you know what, though? I can see how parenting has changed from generation to generation as well. Mm -hmm. So everyone might be viewing a child's behavior through a different lens. Absolutely. Another issue, too, is pressure regarding future plans. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you going to do with your life? When are you going to get married? When are you going to have a baby? Those are really lovely questions to hear. Yeah, when are you going to get that job? 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's always on a public stage too right. at the holiday season, right? So it yeah. makes it a little bit more painful. Yeah, those types of questions are never received well. No, they really aren't. And the last two are holiday specific. So I mentioned this one. Whose family do you spend the holidays with? Where are you going when? Who gets Christmas Day? Who gets Christmas Tricky. Eve? Very common with people who are involved in new relationships, but it can be, you know, any any time. And yeah. I speak from experience. And the last pertains to money. How much money is spent on gifts? Right. That one always seems to crop up every year at some yeah. point, whether it's in your own relationship, extended family, or sometimes even with friends. You know, everybody has a different idea. Sometimes somebody has a good year, right? They yeah. have a banner year at work and they want to be generous. And then maybe somebody's having a rough year and, you know, they don't necessarily, you know, they can't do it. Yeah. They can't do what past expectations were or yeah. meet the expectations of the gift that might be coming their way. Yeah, absolutely. So clearly spending so much time with a whole lot of people with different perspectives and different expectations leads to complexities and very often moments of stress. But some people, Walker, have a very different kind of stress. They pine for this family get-together and even could probably put up with the family conflict I'm talking about those people who are estranged from their family and friends or perhaps just can't be with their family and friends during the holidays. I think it could be very, very lonely time. Yeah, I can't imagine being on my own at Christmas. There are, you know, there are more ways today, though, to be together, even if you can't be together, right? Yeah, for sure. I think one of the gifts of the pandemic, obviously, was Zoom. Mm -hmm. So that's always an option if you're separated from family and friends. And it's not ideal, but I've heard of people playing games or watching movies or even having holiday dinners over yes. Zoom. I have a friend, actually, who has taken part in that. Yeah. I have seen how he has taken part in Thanksgiving dinner with, I think, friends in California, and they prop him up in a laptop with his head is like the great Oz. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Yeah, and if it's a really big screen, you get a life-size head. So. <laughs> that's a little creepy, but okay. Whatever floats your boat. One interesting suggestion that came up in my research was to mail gifts in advance to your far-flung family members, and then everyone can open them up together online. Or even something as simple as arranging a toast yeah. um, or participate in a group chat, whatever it takes to keep some social contact over the holidays. Yeah, I guess you do what you have to do, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what would fill my bucket if yeah. I was on my own over the holidays, but I think... Even if I didn't have access to family and friends, I'd do something to get myself out there and connect with other people. Yeah, me too. I would think I would need to spend my holiday, you know, doing good for myself and also strangers. We talked about this in our gifting episode about how we feel good when we give to others. And yeah. I think I would probably do anything I, I could do to give others some of my time and to help them and to help soften any loneliness I might be experiencing myself by helping others. Yeah, absolutely. Volunteering is one method of coping with loneliness at this mm -hmm. time of year. For example, helping out at the food bank or a meal delivery organization that helps people who can't actually go out themselves. Right. These sound like really good suggestions, particularly since many of these people who are shut in are likely dealing with loneliness as well. Absolutely. You know, when all is said and done and we've given back, how do we take care of ourselves, though, whether we're overextended due to our obligations at this time of year or suffering because of lack of plans? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's a little difficult. I think we often think of ourselves as a last priority at yeah. this time of year and compounded with all of the external stresses of the wider world self-care has become of critical importance we are so honored today to introduce our guest fabio fernandez reiki master mindfulness educator and owner of resting bell wellness welcome fabio how are you today i'm doing really well thank you heather Great. So we have a few questions for you. We we're really exploring the concepts of wellness and self-care year round, but also seasonally as well. As we head into the holiday season, it's it's a topic that becomes top of mind. It can sometimes feel 
like the overall level of stress and tension among us has become more dramatic, even in the last year, but certainly in the last two or three years with the pandemic. Would you agree with that statement? I would definitely agree with that for sure. I think that there's uh, a lot's happened over the past couple of years, but I'm wondering if if we could do a bit of a practice. Is that okay? Oh, sure. This yeah, because I think that that might really help with anchoring us in the conversation. And I think also for some listeners, they might not really understand fully what mindfulness is. Okay. And so maybe that might be a good place to start. What do I you think? I love it. I'm excited. Let's do it. Okay. And I need it, Fabio. I need <laughs> it on a personal I level. I think we all do. I need it. Okay, good. Good. Let's so, do it. Why don't we assume a comfortable position in our seats? Okay. Roll back your shoulders. Tilt your chin downward. I'd invite you to close your eyes or rest your gaze at a point in front of you. Hands on your lap with your palms facing upward. Feet anchored on the ground. And I'd invite you to direct the attention of your awareness to your breath. In through your nose and out through your nose. Inhale and exhale. Breathe in, I breathe in. Breathe out, I breathe out. Cool air in. And warm air out. And just stay here for a few moments. And as you breathe, experience your stomach expand and your chest. And as you exhale, experience your stomach and your chest collapse. Inhale and exhale. And now that you've arrived in this practice, I'd invite you to do a brief scan of your body. And without any judgment, notice where there might be tension within the body, be it physical, emotional, but also notice where there isn't any tension as well. Just do a brief scan of your body. And using your breath, I'd invite you to send this life-giving oxygen to the part or parts of your body that need some relaxation, that would welcome release. And if it would help you, what you can do is, as you inhale, at the end of the inhale, just hold for just a moment and just exhale that stale energy, that tension out of your body. Inhale and exhale. You might want to reflect on this as you breathing in newness and exhale, exhaling that which does not serve you any longer. Now I'd invite you to do this at your own pace. 
And as you continue to breathe, experience yourself sinking deeper into your chair. And notice those hard edges softening. Notice a loosening, a softening, a release in that part or parts of your body. that need it. Now I'd invite you to do another scan of your body and just reflect on what's changed. And if nothing's changed, that's fine. There's no right or wrong answer, but just notice. Now, regardless of where you are in this practice, offer yourself a moment of gratitude for taking time for self-care. And I would like to dedicate the merit of this practice to you. And with this last inhale and exhale, let's bring ourselves back into the space. How is that? Amazing. Overdue. Yeah. <laughs> Overdue. It just totally shifted my energy. It didn't take very long either. That was just a few minutes. Maybe five. Mm -hmm. So why does it make a difference, Fabio? What is it in the breath and in this the quiet scanning of our own bodies that calms our nervous systems? I was reflecting on this, and I think that what I've observed based on what I've heard from clients and from people in general and from people who practice mindfulness on a regular basis is what we're seeking is connection. Yeah. What we're seeking is connection within ourselves and with others mm -hmm. and with the world around us. Mm -hmm. And so... What's happened or what does happen with the busyness of our lives is we tend to stay in our heads, right? Yeah. yeah. And so it's this lack of connection that in many ways leads to stress or leads to anxiety mm -hmm. or leads to suffering. Yeah. Suffering. Absolutely. And yeah. And so in doing this work, it's about softening the edges of that suffering, right? So happiness is a byproduct of mindfulness, mm -hmm. but it's not the end goal. Okay. So the objective of mindfulness, in my view, is to connect and to be aware of where we are at any given moment. The byproduct of it is being happier, is experiencing less tension, less stress. But really what mindfulness is for me is connection, is softening the edges of suffering that we all experience in this life. I think often people think that mindfulness is the antidote to suffering. Mm -hmm. It's not. Okay. Suffering will always exist in our lives, right? It's part of the human condition. It's part of the human condition, exactly. But what it does is it offers us a moment to connect within ourselves and the world around us and to distance ourselves from the noise within our heads. Yeah. And it's noticing, and this is the irony, this is the dichotomy, the paradox of mindfulness is that it eases the suffering that we experience in doing the work, 
Yeah. Even though it isn't the antidote to it. Yeah, but it does. It softens the edges of that suffering. Can you tell me, is there a difference or what is the difference between mindfulness and meditation? Is there a difference? Sure. Meditation is a tool okay. that we use to achieve a mindful state. Okay. So what we just experienced was the tool. So we meditated, we settled and observed and scanned and used our breath to be calm and connected to ourselves. Exactly. And that created the mindful state. That's correct. And this is my view. And there could be others that disagree with me. Right. But in my view, meditation is a mindfulness tool. It is an amazing mindfulness tool. Mm -hmm. In fact, one could argue that it is the most important mindfulness yeah. tool. Yeah. But we can be mindful in many ways. And we know that being in nature, mm -hmm. that's a very mindful way to connect. Yeah. Connect with the world around us, within ourselves. The whole point is we've all experienced mindfulness, whether we realize it or not. Right. Right. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. It's Saturday afternoon. Yeah. You decide to have a nap. Okay. That happens and in my life. It, right. <laughs> and in a quiet household, how rare is that? It never, that never happens. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're at home, you decide to have a nap and then you gently open your eyes and you notice a stream of light from the window shine on your wall and you see a shadow that's cast okay. on your wall from the furniture. And you're there in that moment of stillness, mm. observing the light shining against the wall, the shadows, and you're observing your furniture, items that you've seen a million times, mm -hmm. but you notice something new. Yeah. You notice the grain of wood. Right. You notice a crack that you hadn't noticed before. That is an example of a mindful state. Right. Is that moment of stillness. Yeah. Of observation, noticing, of curiosity. Mm -hmm. Very important. But then there's also an element, of course, I'm giving you this sort of ideal state of mindfulness, right? Mm -hmm. At the same time, where it comes in really handy is when there's a lot of noise within. Chaos. And yeah. Exactly. Chaos, when the weather isn't good inside, in our heads. And so what that offers us is a moment to observe really what's going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a saying that goes what you resist persists right, right? yeah that, yeah often when we're in the state of chaos of experiencing a downward spiral of thoughts we try to push it away it's sort of this defense mechanism i don't want to look at this right yeah. but the irony is is that if we take a moment to in stillness to observe what it is that we're experiencing, what it is that we're thinking, and using something like meditation, seated meditation, breath work, and sometimes just being still, just being yeah. still. Yeah, you don't really have to be, you know, sitting on a meditation chair or cushion with a candle lit in a quiet room. You can be on the subway going full tilt down on your way to work, you know, hanging on to the overhead bar and still have those moments of stillness within. Is that Absolutely. right? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I've heard this said before, drinking tea. Yeah. Which is my favorite activity, frankly, drinking tea. I live to drink tea. It's a moment for yourself, right? Or for me, like when I'm walking down the street, I live downtown. Most of the things around me is made out of concrete, mm -hmm. but I'm always aware of the trees. Mm -hmm. I'm aware of the birds mm -hmm. and the nature that exists in this 
concrete jungle, right? Yeah. And so that anchors me as well, too. I think we can gloss over in our manic rush to get things done, whether it's, you know, day-to-day life or, you know, in the holiday season where everything seems to be amped up even more, we tend to gloss over our surroundings and gloss over the feelings we're having in our bodies and do, as you say, like push it all down, push it away. I don't have time. I don't have time. But it, it it's actually so important to to take a step aside, maybe not a step back, but a step aside and just find those little things in your environment that you can observe and, and that will bring you some some stillness. For sure. What we experienced with that practice is that moment of stillness. There's a definition by John Kabat-Zinn, who is the creator of mindfulness-based stress reduction. Mm -hmm. And he was one of the fathers of mindfulness in the West, Mm -hmm. who brought mindfulness from the East uh, that is steeped in deep Buddhist tradition, right? And so I think it's very important that when we talk about this, that we acknowledge, and there are people that are far more qualified than I am to speak to the roots of mindfulness or the roots of mindfulness practice, but just to say that it's important to acknowledge that there is a rich tradition of mindfulness that exists in Buddhism and also in Christianity and also in other faith-based religions, right? Prayer Prayer is a form of meditation. Absolutely. Pretty much, right? And so I think it's important to acknowledge that there is a rich tradition that's existed for thousands of years Mm -hmm. that is rooted in mindfulness that we in the West are distilling for the purposes of wellness, right, Mm -hmm. in our secular world. Right. right? Yeah. So so I, I wanted to acknowledge that. And the other thing I wanted to say is, you know, from John Kabat-Zinn's perspective, and I know I don't have this quote um, exactly, but he describes mindfulness as paying attention in a, in a particular way without judgment, non-judgmentally, mm-hmm. and with compassion, right? Yeah. And with compassion, that piece, I think just brings again forward that idea of connectedness. So compassion to yourself, but also compassion to the world outside yourself. And so Fabio, I want to ask you, if we put this into practice in our lives, even if it's a couple of minutes a day, how can this contribute to our own personal wellness and even the wellness of people around us? Well, it's been proven through research that mindfulness rewires the brain. Wow. If we're conditioned to have a default reaction to certain situations or to think in a default way, what mindfulness does is it actually changes the brain, allowing us to approach situations in a different way through that self-regulation. Right. Which is so critical when it comes to things like anxiety, social anxiety, uh, perhaps even depression, to be able to rewire those embedded neural pathways of how we think about things. For That's sure. incredibly powerful. Absolutely. And, you know, just speaking from personal experience, I'll tell you, I didn't really start a mindfulness practice in a regular way yeah. until the beginning of 2015. Okay. I'd probably say that 2014 was one of my most challenging years. For whatever reason, I got myself into a downward spiral of thinking that I could not break out of, or I felt that I could not break out of, right? right? Mm -hmm. And I felt that I tried everything, you know? Yeah. And so it wasn't until I started a mindfulness practice of my own that I was able to experience peace of mind. Oh my God. Peace of mind is the holy grail. People think that happiness is the end goal, but really if you have, and I think we all do suffer at some point in our lives with anxiety or depression or whatever it is to have that peace of mind. I mean, even if it's fleeting, even if it's temporary, 
to be able to experience it, I think is, uh, is a remarkable gift. That's incredible. For sure. For sure. But I, I think it's also important to state that, and the Buddhists have said this forever, that these states are impermanent, right? In inviting the opportunity to experience peace of mind, it's also to recognize that that peace of mind may not be permanent. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a good way to mm -hmm. put yeah. it. And how could it be? Really? I mean, we all exist in the context of a very dynamic, changeable world. Things are coming in at us at all angles all the time. So how could that? But just to even know that you can achieve peace of mind, even if for a moment, I think is is very liberating. For sure. And to emphasize that the mind isn't what we, as my friend Michelle Chabon would say, and mentor, it's not in the ensculled brain, right? And so we often think of the mind as being in the ensculled brain, the mm -hmm. thinking brain, right? So when we can, when we think about the mind, it's important to think about it in terms of the embodied mind. So this physical emotional, spiritual intelligence that we have within us, whether right. we recognize it or not, right? Yeah. That is the mind. And so when we think about peace of mind, what we're thinking about is the entire body, the entire system right. that we have within our body. Right. Sometimes right. we're not aware of what we need until we notice it. Those words resonate. Sometimes we are not aware of what we need until we notice it. And so this mindfulness practice assists us in observing and noticing. How can we bring this into our homes, into our lives, but also into our, our work as well. So many people are employed in positions perhaps that they, they find very stressful. They may enjoy it, but still very stressful, or um, maybe they don't enjoy it. And that really contributes to their stress, uh, or it takes them away from other things such as family or other interests that that they would prefer to be doing. So how can this kind of mindfulness practice with perhaps meditation as a tool, as one of your tools, be brought in? How can someone easily access this even right now as they're listening to you speak on the topic? Well, if they've listened to this, then they've probably done a mindfulness practice with us. Yeah, true. <laughs> right? Yeah, download it and play it as often as you like. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So my recommendation would be to start a practice, whatever that practice is, could be walking in nature, could be drinking your tea, could be doing a seated meditation, it could just be doing four deep breaths as easy as that. Exactly. Yeah, but just start with a practice. So start with a personal practice. So that would be the very first recommendation that I would say. Okay. In terms of bringing it into the workplace, I would reflect on the reason you want to bring it into the workplace. So for example, if you're doing a personal practice, then you're carrying that practice with you throughout the entire day, regardless of whether you're at work or not. Right. So that is for you. And no one necessarily needs to know what you do personally, right? Right. If you mean to introduce mindfulness into the workplace, mm -hmm. then I think it's important to reflect on why. And okay. the reason I say that is what I've been seeing a lot of is that in the popularization of mindfulness, mm -hmm. that in some organizations, they are leveraging it as a tool to improve focus or productivity on the job. Ooh. And so I think that if that is the intention, then that is the wrong intention, if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, that, that seems like a conflicting. Right. Yeah. Right. And so I think that if the intention is to bring about wellness in the workplace for your colleague, peers, for the people that report into you, Mm -hmm. then I think that's a really good intention. Yes, I agree. That is a good intention. And I think if your intention is to 
improve wellness among your staff or your superiors or your colleagues or whatever, improved focus and productivity may be a happy side effect, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it could be a byproduct, but uh, ultimately it's about the wellness, as you said, of your, your colleagues, right? And also yourself, because let's face it, sometimes in the workplace, it could be very reactive, especially if it's a high stress environment, especially if you're dealing with external clients, you know, internal stakeholders, and people approach work in different ways. You know, I've seen it in my career in technology, you and I know each other from that space, having yeah. worked in that space, you know, many years ago, right? It was intense. Very intense, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I think that in introducing mindfulness, it could introduce different approaches to handling situations. We right? could have used that a million years ago, Fabio. For in sure. Our, in our career when we were in IT, a little mindfulness would have gone a long way with some of those customers. For sure. For Yikes. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And also our reactivity to the situations that we were on a daily basis engaged in with, with clients. So yeah, sure. yeah, I could yeah. definitely see the benefit. Some of the things we've touched on already, I know you just talked about, uh, we talked about quieting noise and also sort of rerouting sort of thought patterns, but I'm just wondering how can the practice of Reiki help us cope? Are there any other ways that it helps us cope with change and stress in our daily lives? I think where would be a good place to start before I answer that question is just to explain a little bit about what Reiki is. Reiki is a spiritual practice that originated in Japan. Uh, Rei stands for spiritual wisdom. Ki stands for that life force energy, that prana energy. People refer to it as prana or chi. As a practitioner, I channel energy from source and I direct it to my clients. Okay. And in that direction, it's a very intentional direction. I will go through their energy body, their chakras, mm -hmm. and I will clear out any blockages within their energy system and I will balance it out. So that is what Reiki is. It's a form of energy medicine. With Reiki, in terms of the benefits of Reiki, what I find is, is that in many ways, in doing both mindfulness and Reiki, right. they achieve very similar outcomes. Okay. I often hear from my clients that they feel less tension, mm. less stress. Often after a treatment, they'll say, oh, I slept really well last night. Of course, people come to me for different reasons. But one of the reasons that clients come to me is because they want to connect with their bodies. Mm. They feel disembodied. There's a complementary element to both of these modalities, both mindfulness and Reiki, in terms of the outcomes that they deliver. In terms of mindfulness, that's something that I think anybody can introduce into their lives, okay. right? Whereas with Reiki, anybody could introduce Reiki into their lives too, but it would benefit someone to experience Reiki for the first time by going to a practitioner such as myself to uh, experience that energy work. So what simple steps do you think that you could recommend to people who are listening to incorporate into their lives or that they can incorporate into their own self-care? So what can people incorporate into their mm -hmm. own self-care is really time. Mm -hmm. I think time has become so precious for people. And so people have time for everyone else. They have time to work. They have time to take the kids to a soccer game. They have time for cooking and cleaning and doing all of these different chores. But in this chaotic life that we live in, in, in our busy lives, we don't really dedicate time to ourselves. Mm. And so I think that dedicating time for self-care 
is really important at least once a day mm-hmm. at least once a day dedicate time for self-care you know i'm just going to add to this right now in in listening to you in this conversation um i know we were talking about whether you know mindfulness particularly will lead to a permanent change or whether there's going to be these moments that we have and i had the full expectation that through meditation, I would be changed. I didn't necessarily know that I would have moments of being enlightened and then I'd have to reassess and come back to it again. So I think my expectations as well, adding time to my daily life to to make it a priority for self-care, but maybe expectations as well. I think people give up on the practice very- I do, I did. Yeah, because- Sort of like a, a bad diet. You know what I mean? Like if I didn't have change, I would try and try and try. And then I was like, okay, it's not working for me. Yeah. So I think my expectations were completely unrealistic. I think yeah. that's an excellent point. And I think the word expectation is really an inhibitor in the process, right? Mm-hmm. So releasing ourselves of any expectation of any outcome to doing the practice is important because in doing the practice itself it's in noticing the distractions as well right that's part of the practice and refocusing right so it's this dance between distraction and refocus Mm -hmm. distraction and refocus and that's the that's the whole practice itself Well, Fabio, I want to thank you so much for sharing with us the benefit of your wisdom and experience today. You're really welcome. Thank you. Now, if you are interested and you live in the greater Toronto area, you can reach out to Resting Bell Wellness at www.restingbellwellness.com or follow Fabio on Instagram at Resting Bell Wellness. Clearly making ourselves a priority is important. Now, I can remember one year burning the candle from both ends and finally making it to December 25th, getting the dinner on the table and then experiencing an excruciating migraine, which required me to go to bed without enjoying the dinner I made. Mm. That migraine actually lasted for at least two days. It was as if my body had just said, enough, enough, enough stop. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes our bodies do that. They just say, forget about it. You are going to bed, girl. Yes. And that is... It. Yeah, self-care is a big topic these days as people are recognizing that burnout is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And some countries, though, have it together when it comes to self-care. Ooh, I can't wait to hear. Yeah, I'm particularly fond of all the cultures that prioritize a hot soak. Ooh. Yeah, it helps to evaporate stress. This tradition can be found around the world from Iceland and the geothermal baths to Japan and their onsens. You know what? Yeah, we went to a small local outdoor geothermal bath in Iceland. It was called the Secret Lagoon. Walker, it was so hot. Like I literally, I couldn't be in there for more than like 20, 30 seconds. And then I was bouncing out into the winter wonderland. Yeah. Yeah, it was so, so hot. But there were people who were hanging out in there. For a long really? time. Yeah. I don't know. I Did don't have, have like that stamina. Faces? <laughs> <laughs> All super red. <laughs> Everybody was looking a little red. Yeah. Because yeah, you would sweat. Like it was it was volcanic. Yeah. Right? It's magma wow. that's heating up that bath. It was smoking hot. <laughs> but I'm sure my skin felt great afterwards. And apparently these types of baths do have a lot of mm-hmm. healing benefits. They help us to relax. They're really good for the skin, as I said, and skin conditions. They boost circulation, relieve pain, which is a big one, Mm -hmm. and support better sleep. So I'm thinking all this is a really good argument for somebody to give me a new hot tub for Christmas. Well, I'm pro hot tub. Let me know how that turns out. Okay. I was hoping you'd put in a good word for me. (laughs) I will. I definitely will. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I think India definitely prioritizes self-care and wellness through its ancient Ayurvedic traditions. It's all spelled out in the four goals of life, according to tradition, which are kama, pleasure, artha, prosperity, dharma, service, and moksha, liberation. The Ayurvedic tradition focuses on the mind, body, 
and behavior too to achieve the best possible successes and enjoyment of life. Yeah, I think I might explore that a little bit more this holiday season. Sounds good. In researching this episode, I did come across some tips from the National Alliance of Mental Illness posted on how to prioritize self-care during the holidays. So are you ready for this, Harris? You got it. Okay, so number one, know and respect your limits. The year of the migraine, clearly I overstepped my limits. Yeah. I also had trouble with number two, which is set reasonable expectations. I do too much. Oh, really? I know I do too much. Really? Do you yeah. think so, Walker? Yes. Do you think you do too much? Yes. My mother is mm. rolling her eyes as we speak. She is. <laughs> as am I. a little sarcasm there. There uh, is. Okay. So there's more. Avoid known triggers. Triggers will be different for everyone. Yeah. I know when I've hit a sensitive issue because I get this cold little yeah. knot in my stomach. Yeah, it's not fun, but good to recognize it. So you have, you know, some perspective maybe on how you're going to react. Yeah. I like number four and five. Just like we discussed earlier, find ways to give back similar to service, perhaps in the Ayurvedic tradition. Number five, decorate for comfort. Mm. You know, it doesn't have to be a 10. Yeah. You know, sometimes reaching the 10 in terms of decorating your surroundings during the holidays actually leads to really poor wellness, you know, yeah. a four and how you're feeling in your body. Mm-hmm. So really decorate for comfort. And those last two points seem to be very much in the holiday spirit, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I know that just having like my Christmas lights on and my traditional and not necessarily pretty decorations mm-hmm. gives me a lot of joy. Put a little holiday music on while I fill up some donation bags and I am a happy holiday camper. Yeah, this last one tip though is one which we might expect, but I think that perhaps we don't really embrace and understand its importance. Be extra giving to yourself. It reminds me of the old flying analogy where, you know, you have to put your oxygen mask on first. Mm. If we don't take care of ourselves, we'll be really of no good to anybody else. It's so true. And Mm. it's a lesson I have had to learn over and over again in life. Yeah, me too. Now, I found it interesting that these tips were posted for the benefit of people with mental illness or those of us who might be taking care of people with mental illness. Mm -hmm. But really, these are practical guidelines that everyone could benefit from at any time of year. Absolutely. And who really goes through life without ever experiencing some form of ill mental health or being the support for someone who's struggling? Yeah. yeah. We can't overlook the importance of self-care. Yeah. Whether we're lonely or overcommitted during the holidays, it is a time when the focus is on giving. So in doing so, we often overlook ourselves. Mm. We can be in overdrive, burning the candle at both ends. And in so doing, we tend to overlook how our schedules really and our commitments are affecting ourselves. Yeah. The Harvard University Health blog posted a wonderful article entitled Remembering the Me and Mary Self-Care Strategies for This Holiday Season. Ooh, the Me and Mary. That would have been such a good title for this episode. <laughs> I know, great. Can huh? we steal it? I don't know. Oh, You'll we'll have talk to about ask that Dr. Later. David R. Topper. Dr. David R. Topper, a clinical psychologist who is the Associate Director for Healthcare Professional Education at the VA Boston Healthcare System and Assistant Professor of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, outlined some tips for taking care of ourselves, particularly at times like during the holidays. Mm. So he suggests regularly scheduling time to focus on self-care. And if you don't schedule it, you're less likely to do it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, self-care activities could be anything from meditation to exercise. You know, if you're not a meditation or exercise person, it could also be just doing a hobby you like. Mm -hmm. You know, and he points out that it should be at a regular time if possible and even set an alarm, you know, so it becomes a routine. Yeah, this actually really strikes home with me about Four years ago, I was going through a pretty severe family crisis, and one of my dear friends encouraged me, it was such a simple thing, but she encouraged me to wake up every morning and have a a little cup of warm cacao, not cocoa, but cacao, so it's Mm -hmm. a little bit bitter, and set my intentions, and just to have a quiet moment, sip the cacao, which I guess is sort of like a sensory comfort and uh, and light a candle. And since that time, it really helped me during that crisis, but I've done it every single morning, pretty much, for the last four years. 
And I have to say, it's so reassuring. It's like a little touchstone and particularly in times of increased stress. Wow. Well, this sounds absolutely lovely. Yeah. I thought maybe you turn on your phone and immediately start answering my texts from the night before at (laughs) two in the morning. (laughs) Well, it is usually like two in the morning, isn't it, Walker? Well, I think Dr. Toper would be proud of you. Thank you. He also highlights the benefits of gratitude and states that our well-being and mental health can actually benefit just by writing down you know, all the things that you're grateful for. Mm -hmm. Mindfulness too, as our guest was talking about, it can be as simple as consciously taking a moment to notice the sounds and smells, you know, that you see around you, you, that you sense around you. Yeah, we have to remind ourselves to be more in the moment, especially in this crazy society we live in these days. There are just so many balls that we are juggling and we can be so far away in our thoughts and miss out yeah. on the present moment. Yeah, I know. I, I know it helps me sometimes to just stop and listen to nature, whether it's, you know, the rain dripping off my broken eaves troughs, yes. <laughs> troughs or the wind blowing through the trees. Another thing I like to do is focus on the people who are around me. So what they look like or what they're saying at a given moment because you know you know that they're not going to be the same person the next moment absolutely everything changes from moment to moment it does so emotions so i think are a little bit trickier though they need our attention too if i'm getting stressed out what i do is if i notice this feeling this knot in my stomach i literally stop and ask myself what is it exactly that i'm upset about because sometimes it's hard to figure that out yeah for sure you know, stop and ask yourself that you know is it a big deal can i let it go and if i'm struggling to let it go what can i do to help resolve these feelings yeah that's actually quite quite clever I've definitely learned that it doesn't help to ignore emotions or the physical manifestations of emotions. I've been really blessed to be part of a meditation group for the last couple of years. And one of the practices we've been working on is acknowledging emotions and how they activate our nervous systems, but how we cannot be swallowed up by those runaway thoughts that can sometimes accompany them, like stop feeding into the stories, right? Right. A little objective perspective always helps me when dealing with a with a difficult emotion. Yeah. Sounds like a really good strategy. These tricky emotions apparently can also sometimes come about from unrealistic expectations and goals. It seems like we've got a little bit of a theme running here. Walker. Yeah. We do. We do. Absolutely. Dr. Topper suggests that we should keep track of stressful moments so that we can identify patterns in the people or circumstances that are causing these tensions Mm. as well, Mm. like a food journal. Yeah, that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. Other great tips include distractions. Mm. You know, go outdoors, go see a movie, see a friend, maybe take part in some deep breathing or other relaxation techniques. You know, these things can all be helpful in bringing on some calm as well. Yeah, I always tell my kids when they're anxious to pay attention to just the basics, like get a good sleep, eat quality, nutritious food, get outdoors for some exercise. But it's all kind of hard to do during the holidays. Yeah, the holidays are a bit of a tightrope, I'll admit, when it comes to self-care and wellness, aren't they, Harris? Yeah, they truly are. Maybe at the end of the day, it boils down to kindness to ourselves, to others, And prioritizing our own health and wellness. Yeah, a little more self-love, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. International Self-Care Day is the 24th of July. I I think we should be celebrating it during the holidays too, don't you think, Harris? Yeah, I think maybe we should be switching that date to (laughs) December 25th. Exactly, I completely agree. But maybe every day is a good day to be mindful and kindful. Ooh, you like that? I like that. <laughs> it has a good range. Thank you for joining us at At Home and Abroad with your hosts, Harrison Walker. Follow us each week as we continue the conversation. <laughs>